Hello, Molo, Sawbona, Jumbo, and welcome to Every Nation Durban. We are part of a global family of churches with the purpose to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. You can find us in big cities like London, New York, Paris and Joburg. You can also find us in nations like Bangladesh, Botswana, China and even Hawaii. In Durban, we have a local vision of being a healthy church that starts other healthy churches. Our mission is reach, disciple, impact. We want to reach every person, every campus, and every nation. Join this mission to honor God and advance His kingdom. Ninjani, Namengapila. Sure, it's beautiful not to have this mask on. I must admit. <laughs> Thank you for the privilege of not wearing a mask in one of the services. Uh, it's so good to see you all. It's so wonderful to see you. It is so great. You know, the things that we, we take for granted, sometimes something needs to happen so that we can really appreciate what we have. It's great to have church family, and, and it's great to be able to come together and worship God together. Although I did enjoy worshiping from, from home, but there's nothing. Nothing compares to worshiping together. And then, of course, nothing compares to worshipping together with our masks off. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, before we, we start uh, with the word that I'm going to share, I would like us to just, shall we just pray together? So I'm sure the, the prayer is, is up there. Okay. Before we pray, Lord, help me not to keep on looking up at the screen. Okay. Let's start praying together. Okay. Father in heaven... I commit this time to you. I believe your plans for me are good, and everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. I treasure your word more than my daily bread. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. Yes. Awesome. All right. So today we are carrying on with our with our Believe series, and uh, and the title that I've given to this is Believe in the Goodness of God. It's as simple as that. Believe in the goodness of God. And um, in doing this, we are going to go into uh, one of the stories in the Bible that uh, I absolutely love. It, you know, every time I preach, I say, oh, I love this. This is one of the best stories in the Bible. Because I suppose everything in the Bible is exciting. It is wonderful. It is life-giving. So I would like us to open to John chapter 11. If you have your Bible, it would be great for you to open it and to interact with it a little bit today. I have my very old Bible, my loved Bible. It's uh, very interesting, but it's my loved Bible. That's why it looks so worn, worn um, out. Anyway, John chapter 11 from verse 1. And it reads thus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, we're just going to stop there for now. And um, it's funny, there is so much in this verse, uh, and that's why I deliberately stopped there. Because the first thing that I just wanted us to look at is look at the fact that it mentions three people. Two, three people. Three people are mentioned in this verse. The first one is sick, and then there's the other two, Mary and Martha. So this is a family. Okay, and this is a family that is really significant uh, in, 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 in the Bible. But before we carry on about this family, we'll come back to them just now. Let's look at Bethany and um, what this place is about. Bethany is a village, um, according as, as I was studying, I found that it's a village that was about uh, two to three miles, which would be about uh, three to about four kilometers, something like that, somewhere around there. But it was um, less than five k's from Jerusalem. And... Um, 
the name of the name Bethany has two meanings, which I found quite interesting. The first meaning is house of affliction. Okay, house of affliction. The second meaning of Bethany is house of song. So you have a place that has two meanings. And they can't be, you know, like they, they're opposites. Because in my mind, I'm thinking most of the time when we sing, we sing because we are happy or because there's joy. Or normally a person sings out of a place of joy, out of a place of, of happiness. Yes, of course, we do sing when we are sad. But the point is that uh, this place was both a place of affliction and a place of sadness. And, you know, in our lives as well, we, we do go through affliction, we go through challenges, but um, a decision is left to us as to what we are going to do with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I don't know which way you want to look at it, life is not meant to constantly be beautiful and simple and smooth. Life is not, does not function that way. I would love for it to function that way, but it just does not. But then I thought about this, that, you know, um, it is interesting that um, if you want to have a beautiful-looking body, if you want a body that is fit, that is strong, you have to go through a certain amount of pain. It doesn't just happen, or well, with some people it does, but like 2% of us, the nukus of the world and the clothes of the world, I won't mention others, but very few of us can survive like that. Very few of us can have beautiful looking or strong looking bodies without going through some pain. It's just a part of life. But then what we do is we, with that pain, you have to choose how you are going to approach it. So if you want that strength and that ability to go through that affliction, you have to choose to have a song. Well, how I choose to do exercise is I choose to do it with music. I, I, I find it really depressing to do push-ups and one, two, and there's nothing. I like it with music because music does something it enables you to go through the pain that you normally would not go through and that is why god has called us to be worshipers because when we worship him worship elevates us it takes us to a place where we remove our attention from the affliction that we are in to the song that we are singing and then to the one whom we are singing the song to okay so What I'm saying is this. It's that when you live in Bethany, because some of us are in Bethany's today, places of affliction, places of hardship, let us choose to worship God and to praise Him in that time, during that affliction. Because when you're out of it, your worship will even become sweeter. Because you have something to worship God for. You have something to praise God for. But also it is so wonderful when you have been praising Him through the, through the hardship, that when you remember that hardship, it is bittersweet. Because you remember how it was when you were worshipping Him. How it was when His presence visited you in those difficult times. When you were believing Him for the impossible. Now this verse starts by telling us about this man who is sick. Oh, sorry, there's more about Bethany that I forgot to tell you about. But interestingly, when Jesus ascended, he ascended right outside Bethany. He led the disciples to outside Bethany. And that's where the ascension took place. And Jesus spent a lot of time in this, in this place, in this village. I noticed something that I hadn't seen before in scripture. But whenever Jesus was in Jerusalem or when he went to Bethany, at the end of the day, it says that then he went to retire in Bethany. So this was, this was a place that Jesus knew very well. This was a place that he, he went to a lot. Several miracles took place here as well. And the last of these miracles Or the last of the greatest miracles. So basically, for him to show that he was the Messiah, seven things needed to happen. The last of the things that needed to happen, happened in Bethany. And this is what we are reading about today. 
So this was what proved that he was the Messiah. And this was the final thing that caused the Pharisees to decide that they needed to kill him. Because clearly they could see all the signs had been fulfilled about this man that they thought was not the Messiah. And many biblical stories believe that much of the time that Jesus spent in Bethany was spent at the house of Martha, Mary and Lazarus. The Lazarus who is sick in this verse. Uh, if you want to find that, you can, you can just jot this down. In Luke 10:38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So there are various scriptures that say that, that he went and he retired in this home. Now let's carry on with our story. Let's go uh, skip to verse 3. Verse 3 to 5 reads as follows. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, let's carry on to verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now this scripture, it, 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 it was like, okay, I don't understand. Maybe I don't understand English. I don't understand what so means. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, let's, let's take it slowly. Let's go from verse 3. I find it very interesting, firstly, that we see relationship here. Because when he's told about Lazarus, it's, it, they say that he whom you love is sick, right? So clearly there's, there's a deep connection here between Jesus and, and Lazarus. And you see, the thing is that God is not interested in surface level relationship with us. He wants to go deep. He goes, basically go deep or go home with God. That's it. And you see, God wants us to know Him, to be known of Him, such that when people speak about you, they say, the one who loves Jesus, or the one whom Jesus loves. There's got to be something about your life that marks you forever. Where people know, where nobody has any doubt that you love God and God loves you. And this is, this is something that we work on. It's something that we, we have got to work on it. Like I said earlier, if you want something good, it requires energy. It requires you to push and to do something. Jesus would come to this home. So they had, to, they had to then take care of him, him and his 12 disciples. They had to serve him. We know in the Bible there is a part where we see Martha going up and down serving. So they had to do something to maintain this relationship. So I want to challenge each one of us to not let our relationship with God go. To not take it for granted that, well, yeah, God knows. God knows that I'm here. God knows, understand that I, understands that I love Him. Because here's the thing. If you don't put the time in for your relationship with God, other things will take that time. There's no, there's no vacuum in life. So if you don't deliberately set aside those times where you visit with God on a daily basis, you will not have that relationship with God. It will become easy to doubt whether God loves you or not. Especially when you're going through hardships, it will be difficult to say, God loves me, God knows me, God is in my corner. Because it will be easy to listen to the doubts that will come. Because yes, the doubts will come. The whispers of the enemy will come. Because we are living in battlefield, in a battlefield, you know, in a time where there is war. We are in war. So when you are in a war, you need to listen intently and you need to daily listen to the instructions of the general and understand what are we doing, where are we going, where am I, and reposition yourself. Because if you don't take the time to reposition yourself on a daily basis, you will begin to listen to the enemy. You will have your eyes tuned to what the enemy tells you. And I can tell you one thing, the enemy does not have good things to tell you. He doesn't have good, good things to tell you. You see, the meal that the enemy serves to us is the meal of doubt, the meal of anxiety, the meal of fear, the meal of worthlessness. 
That's what he serves you. So we have got to decide what we are going to do. We have to decide and make the choice and say, I choose to give my time to God. I choose to worship him. I choose to pray. I choose to spend time reading the word instead of being on YouTube all the time, looking at what's happening in America, although it's interesting. You know? I have got to choose to put it aside because what I've realized is this. For me, and we are all different of course, but for me what I've, what I've realized is this. If I don't spend time nurturing this beautiful relationship that I have with God, what begins to happen is that the things that are happening outside the, in the world bother me. It bothers me who is going to win the elections in the U.S., It bothers me to see the songs that are being sung out there. It, you know, it become, it goes too deep. These things should concern us, yes. We should be involved, we should be praying about these things. But it goes too deep, such that I lose sleep over it. Whereas, when I have a relationship with God, one that is living... When I become sick or when something happens, the first place that I go to is where my Lord is because I know He will take care of it. You see, if my relationship with God is not there, when I go through tough times, I run around thinking, okay, maybe I should go there, maybe I should do this. I call this one, I call that one, I call that one. Guys, it's fine to ask people to pray for us. But if... The first thing that I do when I face trouble is look for Trisha's number. Before going to God for myself, that's a problem. Yes, we are here to help each other, to, you know, to, to support each other. But I should have that relationship where I can say, My God, what is happening here? Lord Jesus, help me. I remember something funny. When I was in high school, we were playing a, a game. I don't know whether it was softball. Some, it all looked the same to me, but it was wonderful. I enjoyed it. But I think we were playing softball, but we were using a cricket ball. Okay, so that's, what, that's where the confusion comes in. Now, yes, cricket ball... We were, yes, cricket ball. Hear that. Cricket ball. Those people who understand the difference between the balls will understand why I'm specifying this. So I was standing here, and then the best cricket player in our school was standing about maybe three meters from me. Okay, so I'm here, minding my business, waiting for him to hit that ball. I don't know what happened. I even remember his name. I've forgotten everyone else in the school. But dear, wonderful Christopher, (laughs) hit that ball. Yo, there was a meeting between that cricket ball and my face. Right here. All I heard was, and then, (gasps) and you know, the first thing that came out of me was, Lord Jesus, help me. Now, that was me when I was in school. But I wonder that now, when the cricket balls of life hit me, when I think I'm playing softball, and I'm playing with a kinder ball, you know, I'm wondering, what comes out of me the first time when the affliction comes? Do I say, oh Lord Jesus, help? Or do I say, you... My friend, where are you? My mom, my this, my that, where's the doctor? Who do I call first? Yeah, that's a question that I have to answer for myself. And you have to answer for yourself too. It's a good thing we can't see what's happening in each other's minds and hearts. (laughs) Okay, so firstly... What I find interesting about Jesus' reaction, we're going to look at three things that Jesus does when he hears these news, fine? The first one is that he says it will not end in death. So instead of saying, what, is he okay, what's happening? He says, this will not end in death. Note, they did not tell him that Lazarus is dying. They said Lazarus is sick. 
Sometimes when we bring our situations before the Lord, they are bad, but they're not that bad. So when you start praying, and you're like, God, you know, this child is sick, and you pray and you pray. <laughs> the situation is not bad. But what God tells you is that this will not end in death. Now, if it was me, I would have said, Aibo. I said nothing about death, Jesus. Why, why are we talking about death? I said this person is sick. I didn't say this person is dying. And he says, <laughs> he says, it will not end in death. In, in some versions it says, it, it, it's, some say it will not end in death. Others say it will not lead to death. I find that very interesting. But what Jesus does in that moment, he gives them something to hold on to. To say, regardless of how bad it is, its end is not going to be the worst that you could ever think of. God says to us, give me the worst. Give me the worst case scenario. That is not the worst for me. Because you see, God is a God, He is God who goes through the worst. It doesn't stop Him. The Red Sea doesn't, didn't stop him. He didn't say, oh my goodness, what a big, large sea. He created it after all. So he knew it was big. He knew that these people could not swim across. But it didn't stop him. What God is telling us here is that it doesn't matter how bad your situation is. Even if it looks like it's getting worse, it's not too big for God. It's not too great for God. It does not stop Him. There is no impossible when it comes to God. Impossible does not exist. So whatever the circumstances that you are in, it does not matter how long you have been in there, if you hold on and you trust God, He will bring you through. Regardless of what the world says and says, no, this is how it is. It matters not. Yo, I love Jesus. So he says, it will not end in death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Yo. <laughs> so he says, it won't end in death. And then he says, it will be for the glory of God. Now, there's something that I want to remind us, which is that, when we were created, there was a specific purpose behind our creation. God created each one of us so that we would glorify Him with our lives. Our lives are not here so that we would glorify ourselves, so that we would be looked at and, and you know, we would be our own kings or so that we would be the ones that are worshipped. God did not create us so that when people look at us, yes, they can admire you, but that is a byproduct. You see, what my life is supposed to do is that it is supposed to point people to God. It is supposed to point people to Jesus, His power, His authority. When you look at the word glory, glory is about the goodness, the greatness of God. It speaks about how good He is. It's about His renown or His fame. Fame, That's it. So we are here to make God famous. So Jesus said, this will not lead to death, but it is so that God will be glorified and that, and that Jesus will be glorified too. Because what is significant is that in the book of John, um, it highlights the fact that Jesus is God. It focuses in on that. That in as much as Jesus is man, but he is also God. And that he is to be glorified. And that's what he was here for. That's one of the reasons why he came. Now, he says here that don't worry, this will not lead to death. It is so that I will be glorified. Right. And then... Here is the part that I don't understand or that made me scratch my head. So, I love that word, so. So, uh, okay, no, 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 sorry guys. I'm skipping, so I'm looking at a different so. 
And then it says that, right? And then in verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It keeps on repeating this, that Jesus loved these people. He loved them. Which means that there was no way he could not, he would not do anything about their situation. Do you know that God loves you so much that he will do something about your situation? Just because he loves you, just because he loves you, God will do something about who you are and where you are going in your life. So if you are feeling like God does not love you and you are feeling like you are going nowhere and you are feeling like you are stuck, Dive into the love of God. Get a new perspective on, of how much He loves you. And don't look at what you see, but look at how much God loves you and how He loves you. Look at the things that God has said to you in His Word, but also in any word that He has given to you, any word of prophecy, anything that somebody has done to you that shows love. And understand that he truly does love you. In verse 6 it says, So, there's the soul that has created problems. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer. He has given them perspective. He's told them what to know about the situation. So the message has gone back to Mary and Martha that this will, this will not lead to death or it will not end in death. But God will be glorified through this. Right. But then Jesus stays for two more days. Imagine you get this message, right? You wait for him. You look. How can, when is he coming? You see the situation deteriorating before you. <laughs> but he's not coming. How? Whenever we call him, he comes. Why is he not here? Sometimes in our lives, that's what it's like. It's like, how oh God, I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've been praying. I've called everybody. The whole world is fasting with me. What is happening? Instead of it going towards what I know you have told me, it's going the opposite direction. But God, you said it will not lead to death. Not only have you said it won't lead to death, but I'm seeing it going in that direction. You are not here. But you see, that was Mary and Martha's story, that Jesus was not there. Because for us, He is with us. He is with us. And because He is with us, we are to lean into his presence and lean into who we know that he is. Because our God is good. He has never failed us. God is good. God is faithful. So we are to lean into that regardless of what it looks like. <laughs> regardless. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes you pray and pray and pray. And then you think, how? <laughs> what is going on here? You promised me that I was going to get promoted. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is my year. That I'm going to get promoted this year. But how? Now I've lost my job. How? How does that happen? You promised me, God, that you will provide for me. But how is it that I've lost my job? And I don't even know where the next meal is going to come from. It makes no sense. That is the, so he waited. He stayed for two days. Because you see, sometimes we need that time. Sometimes we need that time so we can dig deeper. Because you see, this is what happens with us at times. When we don't have those opportunities of having to dig deeper... Our relationship with God stays on surface level. It stays in the level of, if you do this for me, then I will love you. But we need to learn to love God through the difficulties. To love Him whether He has done anything for us or He hasn't. To love Him whether we see the answers to our prayers or not. To love Him with all our hearts. 
Because like I said earlier, we were created so that we can be, so that He can be glorified through us. Which means that God must be glorified in my life whether things look good or bad. His glory needs to come out of my mouth whether I like what I'm seeing or not. I don't know how many times I have cried and said, God, you deserve the highest praise. Because we go through times like that where we have to decide that I'm going to love God in spite of what is happening around me. In spite of it, I choose to love Him. And I choose to stand by the commitment that I made to God. To decide that I'm not going to be that Christian that is wishy-washy. One day I'm here, the next day I'm there. Hi, but God is not answering me. Hi, no, maybe I better go look for that sangoma. Or no, maybe I must go and see. Maybe it's the energy. I need to correct the energy in my house. Or maybe, guys, let us be rooted and stay. Decide. You know, let's decide to stay. If I'm saying that Jesus is my Lord, it means that I choose His way and no other way. And I don't mix it with anything else. So if I say Jesus is the Lord of my life, as much as I love my ancestors, I love them because I'm here, God used them as a vehicle. But the Bible says that there is no mediation other than the mediation of Jesus. So I have to choose what I'm going to believe, regardless of what is happening, regardless of the, the two days, regardless of me not seeing where he is, I need to decide and to stick by it. I need to decide that I will stand by what the word of God says. He said that this will not end in death. So even if the situation looks like it's dying, I will still believe what he says. I won't just sing it in church. I believe, I believe. It's so nice when we sing it in church. But I will do it regardless of what the situation says. Guys, let us not mix anything with God. When the, when the, what is that thing? I was born in the 70s. When the going gets tough. It says when the going gets tough, the tough get going. If you were born later, it's fine. But you understand what it means, you know. You get it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. In other words, as the situation gets more difficult and gets more impossible, that is the time that I should say, He said in His word. He said it will not end in death. He said He will be glorified through this. If this man dies, God will still be glorified through this. He will still be glorified regardless of how it ends. So the two days pass, right? Yeah. And this is about, like I said, it's about relationship. <laughs> and do you know what God was doing? I believe this is my, this is not a, like I didn't go in. It's not in any, any, any way other than this is my belief. That I think what God was doing was he was giving this family an opportunity to share in the greatest miracle that would show that he is the Messiah. He wanted them to have a share. He wanted them to be a part of the big story. Just like he wants us to be part of the big story. You know, to be able to stand and say, yo, 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 there was no way out of this. But God, to be able to say, yo, I don't know how, I don't know where, but God just did it. God just did it. I don't know, I don't know where the money came from, but he, he did it. I don't know where the favor came from, but he did it. God is in the business of miracles even today. He is in it. Let's not lose faith. Let's not give up. Because sometimes as God is working on this great thing, we give up. Like how? We give up. And then, and then it's like, okay, now what's happening? I once heard of a story where someone prayed for something. I think it was a, a, a fridge. 
or tires, I don't remember. But anyway, this person prayed, right? Prayed, and then of course it's a story. The angels brought out the tires. They put them on the conveyor belt for the tires to go. So a day passed, two days passed, and she said, Eish, oh, maybe God's not going to do it. And they went back to the conveyor belt. And they put them back. And then the next day she's like, okay, God, I trust you. I believe you're going to do this for me. Angels took the, the, the tires and put them back on the conveyor belt. Because, exactly, he was double, she was double-minded. She kept on moving this way and moving that way. Instead of saying, okay, God, I've brought this situation before you. And I thank you that you are able to do it. Regardless of what the situation looks like, these tires are coming. And to just stand there. Then the conveyor belt would have moved. So she was getting in her own way. But anyway. (laughs) So let's carry on. So Jesus stays, right? And then I would like to just skip because this is a long story. I love every bit of it, but um, we need to move on. Otherwise, we'll be here for the whole day. So Jesus then leaves the place where he's in and he goes to, to Bethany. And then he says, let's go. He tells his disciples, okay, let's, let's go to Bethany because our friend Lazarus is sleeping. And then they're like, but if he's sleeping, surely we don't need to go there to wake him up. And they, they didn't get what he said, so he had to explain to them, no, he has, he has died. So he goes. So now he knows that Lazarus is gone. So then he comes. Now he appears. <laughs> oh, <laughs> then he appears. And in verse 20 it says, sorry, it's, it won't be up there. In verse 20 it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So you have these two sisters. The one runs out to meet Jesus. The other one stays in the house. Now what I find interesting here is that in verse, uh, in verse uh, 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. The situation would, ha- would not have become so bad. That's the first thing she says. And then later on we hear Mary saying the very same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Had they forgotten what he had said to them? He said, this will not end in death. It is so that God will be glorified through it. We are all like that. Well, I am like that sometimes, where I will know and believe what God has told me. But when it looks like things have gone the wrong way, then I come to God and say, Ah, ish, okay, Lord, I worship you, but ish, ah, you know, if only you could have done this better, God. I mean, you know, did it have to go on for this long? (laughs) Did it have to, God? I mean, did it have to go in this direction? Yet I have forgotten what he has told me. You see, many times what happens, sometimes what happens is that when we go through situations, God will give you a verse, a scripture. He'll give you a word of prophecy, right? And you go on in your circumstances. What you need to understand is this. Those words that have been given to you have not been given to you so that they become a magic wand that makes things happen. But those words are given to you so you can hold on to them and remember and galvanize yourself with them. So that when God comes through in your situation, you're like, okay, God, you have come to do what you have promised me you were going to do. And Jesus' response is this. Uh, firstly, I like what Martha says as, as she carries on. She says in verse 22, But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She says, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that if you ask God for anything, 
He will do it for you. So I'm thinking, she's on the right track. And then he asks her, okay, so do you believe that your brother will be raised from the dead? Then she goes off track again. She says, yes, I believe that he will, be, he will rise from the dead. In other words, at the end of time, when we are all raised from the dead, he will be risen from the dead. You see, here's the thing. God is not shocked, neither is he surprised, neither is he afraid of our confusion. But he wants us to stick with him. So he goes into all of this, trying to show her. And then he says, he speaks to her about believing. He says, yes, that will happen. But actually, that's not what I'm talking about now. So he takes her through. So you see what I was talking about, about relationship. That when we have that relationship, God is able to take us through these things and to teach us deeper truths than the ones that we know. So he tells her, yes, he will be resurrected at that time, but that's not what I'm talking about now. And he leaves her to chew on that. But Mary is still in the house. She's still weeping. She's still mourning the death of her brother. So it takes Martha going into the house to go and call her and say, the master is here. And when she's told that the master is here, she runs out to meet Jesus And the first thing she does is she bows before him and she says the same thing. Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. What I love about this is that Jesus loved all three of these people. And he was in this whole story but managing all three of them. Dealing with all of them in each each one in a way that would work in each one. He is that personal with us. He is that personal with you. He understands you. He's made you the way that you are. He understands you. He's that personal. You've got to go to him though. You need to go to him. Mary had to get up out of where she was and she had to go to Jesus so that she would see and be part of this great miracle that was happening. Because she could have easily just stayed in the house and said, He wasn't here when I needed him. So let him just do whatever he wants to do. She would not have been there when her brother was raised from the dead. And you know, the third thing. So secondly, I said, he said that it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. Thirdly, one thing I want to emphasize is that Jesus is moved by our sorrow and our pain. Remember here, we're talking about Someone who is both God and man. He is moved. As God, he is moved. As a man, he is moved. He is moved by our pain and our sorrow. He's not left. He's not like, because a a lot of people believe that God is aloof. He is out there looking and, and directing things from a distance. God chose that he would dwell with us and live with us continuously. Even through the things that we do that he's not impressed with, he stays with us. The Holy Spirit is with us through it all. He stays with us. So when we're going through hardships and difficulties, he he weeps with us. He bears the sorrow with us. I'd like us to go to verse 33. So now Jesus has met with Martha. He has met with, with Mary. In verse 33, it says, Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved and greatly troubled. And this was when he was seeing Mary and those other people who were weeping, who were in mourning. And in those days, apparently they had people who, whose specialty was to come and to cry and to do all of that. So they were all there. What I find interesting here is that Jesus was moved. And then in the HCSB version, okay, that's the Holman, sorry, should have just, Holman's version. It says, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. He was angry in his spirit. You see, what I believe was happening here is that Jesus sees 
the damage that has been caused by sin. He sees the damage of that decision by Adam and Eve. He sees it and it makes him grieve. Because sickness is here because we live in a broken world. We live in a world that has been tainted by sin. Sickness, death, all of those, they are part of that. They are part of what happened because sin came into the world. So I believe that anger and that, that, that deep trouble that Jesus felt was because he saw the sorrow and the pain that these people were going through. But I believe even today, Jesus has that disposition to the pain and the sorrow that people are going through because they don't know him. To the pain and the sorrow and the confusion and the identity confusion that people today are going through because they don't know him. Because they're living in a sinful world. They were born into sin. This is not something that makes God happy or or makes him delight in that I'm going to punish them. But it gives him sorrow. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross for us. Because he couldn't just let it be, let it go on like that. Where we face death. Because you see, another thing is this. Death is a byproduct of sin. So when people die, it's not that that's how God, God originally intended. We were created to be eternal beings. So that's why when we die, our spirits still live on. We were created to be eternal beings. There's, there wasn't supposed to be that separation. So Jesus here is feeling the loss of somebody being separated from him, even if he knows that it's for a short while. But he's feeling the pain that these people are feeling and the sorrow and the anguish that they're going through. But Jesus is there with us. We see that in verse 33. In verse 35 it says, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. So there's one for your uh, Bible quiz. John 11:35. Jesus wept. He wept. And there are many, uh, you know, uh, Options or, or, or many things that people say about why he wept. But I believe that he wept because he saw what they were going through and he understood the work, you know, what sin and death was doing in the world. And that we, those people at that time did not see that he was above, he was about to do not only this miracle, but he was going to do the, the greatest thing was going to happen where he was going to die and be risen from the dead. And because of that, death would not have a sting anymore. And in verse 38, we see again, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. He is moved by the effects of sin in our lives. But when he is moved by it, it does not mean that, you know, when we are living in sinful circumstances or when we, we have allowed sin to, to reign in our lives, it does not mean that he then um, has a pity party with us about, you know, I don't know what to do about this thing. It's a struggle. We, we go through those times where you're like, it's a struggle. I don't know how to go through this. Yes, it's a struggle. And God weeps on your behalf. But he weeps because he knows now in this dispensation we are in. He knows that you can get away out of it. So it is not for you to sit in that anguish and die in it. Because we have been given the answer through Jesus dying on the cross for us. We don't have to live bound and frustrated We don't have to live being pulled by the nose, by the sin that we find ourselves in. God gives us the ability to choose whether we are going to allow this sin to reign in our lives or we are going to choose freedom which he gives to us. There is always a choice. I want to encourage you and remind you, there is a choice. You don't have to wake up every day and say, oh, there I go again. Yes, the Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times. 
but he rises again. But that's no excuse for me to live in sin and to enjoy sin and then to say, ah, but God's grace covers this. The grace of God is there to help us to get out of sin. Not to live in it. So I want to encourage you today. God is there for you to get out of that sin. Regardless of how debilitating it feels and it is. God wants you to be free of it. And he has a way for you to be free of it. But sometimes it can be pride that makes us think, hey, I don't want to go to people. Or I want to deal with this one, me, myself, and God, and I. I want to encourage you that God gets glorified when you get freedom from that sin. He doesn't get glorified when you pamper it and nurse it and say, no, okay, this is the last time. You have got to bring it out into the open. You see, Lazarus was stinking when he came out of that tomb. He was smelly, dead for four days. When Jesus said that he wants to open the tomb, when he told them to move the tomb, Martha says, he's been in there for four days. It smells. God, he loves smelly situations. He loves to deal with the stench and the ugliness that you see in your life. He has conquered it. He gained victory from it. You see, but when you live with it and you say, hey, this is so bad, this is so, oh, I don't know, what if, what if, you are making a mockery of the work that he did on the cross. Stand up. And open the tomb for him and say, God, it smells, but I welcome you in here. And this is where now we call our friend. This is where now you call and you say, hey, my friend, things are bad. I need you to come here and to see and to help me deal with this mess. You see, in James, it's interesting that The Bible says something very interesting. It says, confess your sin one to another. It's speaking about healing there. It says, confess your sin one to another. So God doesn't want us to just live and and stew in this sin. Because when we do that, I'm telling you, you will never get out of it. You won't. Because as you stew in it, uh, you become friends uh, because you like it. Guys, let's be honest. Whatever sin it is that you are in, there's a part of you that likes it. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. It has got its hooks on you because there's something delicious about it. Even if it's got bitterness to it. But you've got to choose. That you know what? I don't want to live with this stench. I don't want to live with this stench because it is killing me. So when we open up for God to come in and to deal with those ugly situations in our lives and when we allow other people in, Jesus waited so that there could be many people there. He waited for a crowd Because apparently Bethany was a small village. No. He wanted the people from Jerusalem to be there too. Because if you read the scripture properly, it says the people from Jerusalem, many people from Jerusalem were there. God is not, um, you know, he, he isn't impressed by our wanting to look good in front of people. Because he wants to look good through us. When people know the stuff that I have done and they see what God is doing through me in spite of those things, then God gets glorified. When I have gone to my brother or my sister and have shared with him the struggle that I am going through and they have prayed with me and I have been delivered from that thing, When they see God working through me, 
does something to them. It brings them so much joy. It causes them to praise God. Because there's ugly stuff, I can tell you personally. There's ugly stuff that I have done that people know about. And when they look and they see what God is doing in my life, they see God's glory and God's goodness. So today I want to challenge you. Don't let yourself stay in that place. Do whatever you can to bring somebody in. To let them into the mess so they can pray for you. So you can be healed. You can be delivered. And the shackles can come off you. And you can run the race. And those people who have walked that journey with you. Ah, the joy that they will have and the glory that God will have out of your story. People, it is not about us. And the funny thing is that when you have revealed it all, when you have gone through it, when God has, you know, He has cleansed you, He has removed all that junk out of you, you walk so free. You walk so free. You're like, what was that? Why did I want to stay there? And your identity now, by the way, I'm off my topic. I'm off where I was completely. I don't know where I am in my notes. But what I'm saying is this. (laughs) Then what begins to happen is that your story is about glorifying God, not you. It's not about you anymore. It's about Him. And that is the place of greatest joy for us. The greatest joy is when we understand that God is good and that He has our good at heart and that when He, when we allow Him in and when He works in us, our situation will not end in death. He will go past death and He will bring the situation to life. And he will rename the places of affliction using us. Because today, that place called Bethany is called using the name of Lazarus. Because God did that great miracle there. Where he rose Lazarus from the dead. I've got no idea what was happening with Lazarus' spirit at that time. I wish we had been told, but I'll find out in heaven. But all I know is that he had started, he was stinking. He had started to who turned, decompose. He had started to decompose. But Jesus rose him from the dead. And the last thing I just want us to remember is that Jesus did all of this. But he is putting us in his position today. Because he has given us the great commission. He is calling us to be the ones who speak his word into the situations that we see around us. To say that this situation will not end in death. God is calling us to speak to the life of your neighbor, the life of your colleague, the life of your friend. He is calling us to speak to the communities that we live in. To walk those streets and say it will not end in death. To declare his word into the circumstances that we see around us. We are, you know, God, these things are heavy. But God is calling us to get up and to not allow the heaviness to defeat us. But for us to get up and to speak the word into those situations. And to pray and to trust Him that He is the God of the impossible. He is the God who can clean up our city. He is the God who can, who can uh, save even the person who is so-called the hardest person. We are the ones who are called to speak into these situations. And we are the ones who are to be filled with sorrow and weep for the things that are around us. And weep. And weep when we see people dancing and calling themselves is dark. 
and speak the word of God into those situations. We are the ones that God has called to see that what is wrong with this world and to speak his word into it. God has called us to feel those things so that we can go on our knees and invite him. Invite him into the circumstances that we see. Somebody asked me a question, was it yesterday, day before yesterday, he said, I'm concerned. Yes, God did all those things in the Bible, but I want him to do it now. What about our generation? What about our generation? And the answer that I gave him was that, well, this generation has to seek God. We have to seek God and to believe him that he has brought us here to be the answer because he has left us here for a purpose. We are to go on our knees and to pray and to say, God, bring revival. Let it start with me. We are to look at those ugly situations and say, God is able and he will bring it to pass. Okay, and then lastly, <laughs> I just want to close by just saying this, that, you know, Jesus gave his life. He died, like Lazarus, he died. And we're going to take our communion today. Um, Lazarus died that first time. But now Lazarus is dead again. Because for all of us, we are going to die and we are going to face God. The fact of the matter is that we are living in this world where our lives are short. Even if you live for a hundred years, it's short in light of eternity. We're going to die, all of us. But Jesus, God who became man, Jesus died on the cross for each one of us. So that sin would not be an issue anymore. So that our relationship with God would be brought back. So we would be able to relate again with God. Jesus died on the cross for us. He was broken so that we would be made whole. So today, as we take communion, I want us to remember that no matter what we are facing, it is not too big for God. And also, the commission that he has given to us is not too big because his blood was poured for us. His body was broken for us. It was in that order. His body was broken and his blood was poured for us. So, I want us at this moment that, thank you, that if perhaps you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you this opportunity that as we take communion, that you would consider to give Him the opportunity to be Lord and to be God in your life and to be Savior. If you are not saved, I want you to take this opportunity and to ask him into your life, to ask him to save you, to give you this relationship like only that we can only have with him and to bring you into his family. And I just pray that for us who have given our lives to him, let this be an opportunity for us to, to be grateful and to thank God that Jesus did die, his body was broken, but that he's alive today and we are now a part of him and he is a part of us. So Father, we thank you as we take this bread that it reminds us of, your, of the death of Jesus on the cross and how he was broken so that we would be made whole. So we thank you, Lord, as we take this bread. Let us take it together.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for the blood that was poured out for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we are cleansed with this blood, that we are put in relationship with this blood. Thank you for this blood that was poured for us. And we drink this in remembrance of you, Jesus. Let's take the cup. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for cleansing us and making us whole. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us partners in this work that you began on earth and that we continue with you today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. We give you the praise and we celebrate you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So I just want that if there's anybody who feels like they need prayer, if you need prayer, I just want to invite you to just come to the front and we will pray for you. And at home, we're just going to pray for you now before, before we close. Okay. Can we just um, stretch our hands to the screen? <laughs> so we're going to join our faith and we're going to pray for the people who are at home. Father God, we pray for each person who is watching. We thank you for each one of them. God, you know what they're going through. And we pray, God, that you would come and comfort them in this time in Jesus' name. That you would remind them that you are God of relationship. That you love them. You are their God. You are in their corner. I pray, God, for those, Lord, who are struggling with sin. We break that over their lives in the name of Jesus. We declare that those chains are broken off their lives in the name of Jesus. And we ask God that you would give them the boldness to call somebody that they can walk with, that they can be accountable to in the name of Jesus. We pray your blessing to be over them in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so if anybody would like prayer, please come to the front. Love you lots. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.enderban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.